How are you? Good, good. Well, if you are new here, um, I'm Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor, and I just want to welcome you guys on this wonderfully just perfect temperature Sunday. Whew. Um, Chad, we have all those fans we didn't distribute yet, did we? We have a whole bunch of little fans that say Soundhouse. You can wave yourself down, or, you know, fan yourself down with, but maybe next week we'll get them out for you. Um, just a couple things. I just want to uh, jump into this message and just remind you about last week. If you haven't heard last week, last week we talked about this church in Antioch, which was a Roman city. It was this prominent city in Rome. It was the staging ground for the mission to the Gentile church. And so as we're going through the book of Acts, we see it develop in Jerusalem and begin to go into Samaria. And we begin to see the church then move into a place called Antioch. Now just remember this. Antioch was not a place that was founded by the apostles. It was approved by the apostles, but not founded by the apostles. Which is such a good, encouraging word in a story to remember that we all, I think a lot of us think, well, I'll just let someone else do it who's more qualified than me. I'll let someone else do it because they know more of the Bible than me, or they've been a Christian longer than me. And Antioch was this church that was formed by people that weren't even listed in the scripture. Their names weren't even listed. They're just regular people, passionate about God, and bringing the gospel, and it becomes the church hub of the first century church, and really ultimately, it's this church's devotion is why we're here today, um, and God using this church and these people. Today, we're going to talk about chapter 12. I will say this, if you have ever prayed and wondered why God has not answered your prayer, chapter 12 is our book. If you have ever struggled and wondered, uh, you don't understand why some things happen when we pray and some things don't, chapter 12 is our chapter. If you've ever wondered, God, why is it sometimes it feels like the wrong people are thriving and the good people are not, chapter 12 is our chapter. And I think if you've ever maybe wondered what this life is about, why does this life have meaning? What's the meaning of this life? Chapter 12 is our chapter. I bet you didn't know all that was in this little story I'm going to read. It's so powerful, this chapter 12. There are three major themes for the readers of chapter 12. Now remember, Luke, who's the author of this book, is writing to someone he's discipling called Theophilus. And he's brought Theophilus on this journey through the Gospel of Luke and then right into the book of Acts of the progression of the church of which Theophilus, while he's reading it or having it read to him, has already seen the work of the church and he's explaining how the church has formed to the point of which it has formed. I love the, the book of Acts because it is a discipleship book. He is discipling someone individually, and it's an encouragement for us to be, continue to be disciplers. These three themes we're going to see are one is life or death is gain in Christ, whether you live or die. And I know we don't like that because we want the life that I think we hope for in our life. 
We want to you know, have our family and it turn out the way we want. We want to build towards retirement and eventually get the RV and live life, maybe not the RV, something, whatever the life that you see for yourself. My son asked me the other day, Dad, how do you want to retire? And I was like, do I get to retire? I don't know if I get to retire. But he said, how would you like to live? Do you want to live in a home? Do I need to put you in a home? And I'm like, he's 11. And I'm like, no, don't. No. And he's like, well, was, do you want to live here? Where do you want to live? I mean, I have to be thinking about where to put you. And I'm like, where to put me? He's like, what if I just buy an island and, um, you, and, and you can work there and keep it up for me when I come visit. I'm like, wow, you really have plans for me. We don't know the life that we have. We don't know. It's not guaranteed just today, right now, is what we're living in. I think Christians, we can lose sight of that sometimes. We have to keep the balance that we're hoping for the future, but we live right now, Right? The, 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 the God's grace is new every single morning when that sun rises. It's a new opportunity. It's a new chance. I always say this about Christianity and our faith in God is that the best thing God gave us was that verse about that God's grace is new every morning. And I believe that anyone can change their life radically in just one day. It starts with just one day. And that's a hope that we have every day. So life and death is gain in Christ. And then ultimately, prayer to a sovereign God. We're going to see this theme in here. When we pray to a God who's in control of everything, knows the beginning and the end, how do you pray or even should you pray? Because I think others have felt that way sometimes. Like, why pray then? So we're going to see that. And then lastly, we're going to see that a corrupt heart corrupts absolutely. Sometimes I think we see the evil that's going on in the world, and we think, why do they thrive and prosper and others don't? Ecclesiastes goes extensively about this, Solomon writes, that one who is righteous dies early, and the other who is evil lives long. That's all vanity. It's a waste. So he puts this into perspective, this sovereignty of God. We don't know exactly why or how, but I will tell you, in Christ, whether someone lives long in evil they will reap the reward of their toil in this world and in the next. And as a believer, we have the hope that whatever happens in our life, through tribulation, through trial, through unexpected phone call from a doctor, whatever happens, we must always be hopeful, right? We must always be hopeful. But we must know, too, at the end of the day, we possess something that these disciples possessed. That didn't matter whether in life or in death. They had the greatest treasure they could have ever gotten. So if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're going to read the whole chapter in sections. It's not a very long chapter. And then let's pray. God we ask that as we read your word. That through your spirit. As we hear your scripture. Your eternal truths. These themes that happen. God I ask that you awaken our heart to levels of belief and hope that maybe we didn't have. It may be an openness to prayer that maybe we shied back from at one point because of disappointment, God, or even just a worry that maybe, maybe I need to be not as tightly held to my values and loosen them because those who loosen them gain so much. But, God, that we know that at the end of the day, you are 
in charge. And we want to stand before you, God, with a good work, hard work. We run the race, and we did a job well done. In Jesus' name, amen. I was listening to this debate between these two great professors, one of them I particularly love. And one of the students in the college, they would submit questions, and they were talking about the sovereignty of God. And they submitted a question. They said, well, why pray if God is sovereign? And I thought that was a very good question. I was waiting for this professor to answer it. He's brilliant. But his answer was very simple, which at first it took me a second. I was like, you couldn't expound on that? But this is what he said. He said, give me a better alternative. (laughs) Oh, okay. He said, no, no, give me a better alternative. Is there something else you can pray to? Is there some other God that, we, that has brought salvation, life, it directed the course of the, of the gospel and the church throughout human history, brought to life those who were dead? Give me another alternative and I'd like to hear it. And then he went on to say, I'm thankful that we can pray versus a closed door to God. Whether God answers our prayer the way we want I'm thankful that I can pray. God is a gracious, loving God. And his last statement was, prayer is not a right, it's a privilege. That kind of struck me in a way. Prayer is not a right, it's a privilege. I have prayed for things and I have been crushed by them not being answered. I'm not going to lie to you. I've prayed for things And I saw God do miraculous things, and I just know that I get to pray to a God whose door is always open and ears are always tuning in. I don't know exactly how he works, but he does. But it is not a right. It's a privilege, and we should take it that way. That same son who wants to put me in a home was asking if he could get a cell phone. We deal with this all as parents, right? You know, when do I get my cell phone? All my friends are, and this is, it's like a virus, you know, and, and because once one of their friends gets a phone and then all their other friends get phones and then they're like, Dude, they have phones and now I can't talk. I'm not going to have a life. And you feel bad as a parent and you're like, and then so all of my kids, we had a rule that it would be verse, or sorry, verse, it would be 13 years old before then we would get you a phone and he was 11 and he said, why don't I just buy my own? And I was like, that's not a bad idea. If you can buy your own and pay your whole cell phone bill for an entire year, I will then let you have this phone with my monitoring. And then he did it. And he was like, no, 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 the phone is a right. (laughs) He didn't wait for the privilege. He got the right. He just went and got it. And I just think in sometimes in cases like that, there are times where maybe God is asking us to move and not just sit back and be idle in prayer but also to move in prayer. But there are sometimes we are praying and sometimes the timing is not right or what we're praying for might not be what God has orchestrated in our life. But we have to trust God in that. I titled the message that very statement, which is to trust in God. I know it's simple. I know you didn't come to church today to be like, yeah, 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 we get it. We're supposed to trust in God. But I want to look at it through this lens of these apostles in this day. And these are the same people that, that, that went blindly, in a way, following Jesus, left everything to follow Jesus. These are the same people that when Jesus was crucified, scattered because they were afraid for their own life. These are the same people that put their neck on the line, literally in this story, for the very 
thing that Jesus died for, which was the salvation and the privilege to share the gospel. And they trusted in God, and we should be no different. When hard times come, and they do, and they come sometimes like waves, we trust in God. The first theme we're going to see is life in Christ, or life is in Christ, I would say probably maybe better. Life, your life, the real life, the joy of this world and to the next, the meaning of everything is the life that you possess in Christ. When we baptize next week or on the 28th, we're going to see those who are signaling, signifying in an example of someone who is buried and resurrected. You can't top that. You can't top that. Someone who was once dead and their life now and their life post-death lost its meaning and didn't have the meaning that Christ has as we resurrect in Christ. So life in Christ, these apostles knew, was greater than any tribulation that come their way. I would say even greater than any prayer unanswered was the very life that God did answer when they went to God. Philippians 1.20, Paul writes this, and he's having, Paul, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because Paul is speaking about whether he should live or die. He doesn't know what would be better. I would, I would be very concerned if I read it, like, I think Paul is suicidal. This is not good. But Paul understood something great. And if anybody in here ever wonders if they have any purpose left in life, or, or, or I'm older now, I've lived my life, I've, I've given my life, why continue to go on? I've talked to people in this church who have been very suicidal in their life. And they ask the questions, what's the point? But Paul gets to what the point is in this passage. That life in Christ is better than anything. Life is about life in Christ. He says this in Philippians 1.20. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. One way or another, I win. But then he goes on to say, for anybody who might be wondering if maybe it's time for you to go home and maybe it's time to lay it down. I just want to say Paul is saying, it would be wonderful if I could go be with Christ. It would be better than anything here. But Paul says, it's better that I stay for your sake. So I will run the race. I will finish the race, and when the time is done, God will take me. I love that. Life and death and life and living. They had a perspective that I think sometimes believers today, we need to have. Christ is our hope in this life and the next. Verse 1, if you open your Bibles, we'll just jump right into it. And about that time, Herod, we'll talk about these names you're going to see highlighted on the screen. Herod, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This is one of the original disciples. And when he saw that it was, that pleased the Jews, so we can see that since Acts 2, and now 12, maybe 15 years later, the tone in the city has changed. They in their early days at Pentecost, they had a good reputation. They, had, they were well accepted. They were favorable. But favor has changed. The political errors have moved. And it says James was killed, right? 
when they saw that it pleased the Jews, and he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Herod kills James, the first one of the originals, and is like, oh, you like that? Let me get you the big dog. And so he goes after Peter. This was during the days of unleavened bread, verse 4, when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivered, this is Peter he's talking about, delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Four squads was four sets of four. They guarded him all throughout the night. And we'll see exactly how that squad breaks down in a second and what they did to guard him. They had heard Peter was, had escaped miraculously once before. They will not let this happen again. And it goes on, attending after Passover, so they held him to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God, or to God, by the church. This is Herod, Herod Agrippa I. His grandfather was Herod the Great, the one who had slain all the children when Jesus was born, because he was so afraid of another king rising up. He was a Herod the Great. And Jesus' birth time was a brutal leader. It was known in all of Rome, and when said about him, is that better to be a pig in Herod's kingdom than one of his family members or a wife. He just was vicious. And so then he had children, and they learned to be vicious and selfish and prideful during Jesus's. The trial, Herod Antipas was the one who presided over his trial, and Jesus was brought to him, and he was mocked by Herod Antipas. This was the Herod we're reading about now. This is his uncle. He was the one who brought John the Baptist's head on a platter, right? He was a morally corrupt person, and this Herod is no better. He has given all of his political power to Rome. He does anything for power. And he is doing anything as he's ruling the people because they liked it. He did it. This is a very dysfunctional family dynasty, the Herodian dynasty. They were power hungry. And they were a corrupt family ruling over the people. But it's interesting because when it became politically positive to kill Christians, he did it. Now, I'm not saying this is where we live now, but it did remind me a little bit. Sometimes politicians, you know, where they'll be like, I'm for this. And then when the people want something different, they're like, no, I'm for this. Right? You know what I'm saying? You get it. Right? You relate to it. This is what he's doing. No one was safe under this type of wind of political change. James, the one he had murdered, the first disciple, was, remember James? He was, him and John were the sons of thunder. He was, I think, probably the one he went after because he was the biggest thorn in his side. He was the one who was bold. He probably had a wife and he had children. This is a tragedy. He was the first apostle. But what, what kind of bothers, I think, some people in, is when they read it, it's just a snippet. Remember Stephen, the first martyr? He had a whole chapter and a half. That he, he, he just gets a mention. Oh, yeah, and by the way, James died. But there's something really interesting about this if you do a deep dive. Now, this is the James whose mother went to Jesus, brother of John, went to Jesus, his mom. And you know how moms are, right? They're like, oh, Jesus, my son, he's so great. Oh, I love him so much. He's better than all these other. This is essentially what she's doing. She loves and dodes on her sons. In Matthew 20, 21, and he said to her, 
Jesus, what do you want? Because she's wanted to talk to him. She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. Don't you think that's possible? Have you seen these boys? Right? Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Remember Jesus in the garden says, God, Father, I don't know if I can drink from this cup, but I will. Then he said to him, we are able. And he said, you will drink from this cup. He goes on to say something interesting. He says and reminds all the disciples that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Isn't it interesting that in this request, James is asking to be first. Jesus teaches him to be last. And then he's the first to join Jesus of all of his friends. He's the first to sit with Christ. I think because he changed his whole life after that moment and after the resurrection. But not much about him. But I think he went a happy man. John, his brother, John wrote all the Johns in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. John is the opposite. So James, his brother, goes first and young. John lives the longest of all of the disciples and dies naturally. He writes this when he, I think he writes this in a way because this injustice that was done against his brother by Herod, this powerful, power-hungry person, and that sometimes feels like the world will win. He writes in 1 John 2, 17, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I think that's comforting to him. That his brother did the will of God and abides forever. The, 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 the world could represent Herod, power and greed and control. It will pass away. But my brother abides forever. So I could see that it probably deeply affected John. And then Peter is mentioned in this part of the story of one of those names highlighted. This is his second imprisonment. Like we said, this is a much more dangerous imprisonment. He, he slowly fades from the book of Acts. He has one more mention, and we don't hear Peter anymore in the book of Acts. We see Paul begin to become the prominent leader in the book of Acts. He lives 20 more years. He writes his epistles. He dies 23 years, maybe even from this date. Peter continues to go on and do ministry. And the big question why I really wanted to say it is because why is Peter, in a sense, will read, spared, James dies, John lives long, his brother goes early. Everybody was praying. And I think we have to step back for a second and say, God is in control and is sovereign. I don't know the very details of how God operates, but I do know that what they possessed was greater in this life and in death. And maybe that gave them the comfort as God directed the stabs. And Peter, remember this. Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. And he says in John 21, 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you used to walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll be stretched out by your hands and you will be dressed and you will be carried to a place you do not want to go. And tradition says that Peter was stretched out on a cross and crucified and he was clothed and he was brought out and led to a place he didn't want to go. And so I can't explain all of this, but Peter eventually met his time as well. I think it's, it's something to note that all these apostles, they lived their life in the context of the sovereignty of God. And we must too. 
I know it's disappointing when something happens tragically and you prayed and, and, and you hoped for. And I know the church, it crushed them. Imagine this. Someone in our church was taken out of our church and killed for their faith. What do you think Sunday service would be like next Sunday? High in attendance? Low in attendance? It'd be a tragedy. It would be shake us to our core. You have to remember that this shook the church to its core, yet they remained to pray. James was just slaughtered, and they remained to pray when Peter was captured. This church is a very good example for us when tragedy meets. But they lived and possessed a real life. They knew something that sometimes Christians forget. You know, They knew the meaning of life. And that life was so much bigger than now. But while we're here, God has something for us to do in life or in death. And I wrote this down. I said, we can't understand all the whys of our faith. You can't. But you can understand that life in Christ is always going to be more. More. He will help you live your life to its fullest. But we can't understand the whys. I can't answer all those, and the Bible doesn't answer all those, and God doesn't answer all those, but he asks us to trust in him. The second theme that we're going to see is this hope in prayer. Hope in prayer to a sovereign God. Never lose hope in prayer. Don't stop praying. This church didn't when one of their dearest members was murdered for his faith and the next was in prison. They didn't stop praying. They were shaken and rattled a little bit, but they didn't stop praying. Max Lucado, who's an incredible author, he wrote this. I love this about prayer. He says, our prayer may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, And not in the one who says it, our prayers make a difference. What a wonderful way to think of prayer. The power of prayer is in the one who hears it, not necessarily the power in the prayer in the one who says it. So they do make a difference because of the hearer of our prayer. Let's pick up in verse 6 now. When Herod was about to bring him out, Peter, on the very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. This is unusual. They wanted to make sure that he wasn't getting out. So there was two prisoners there shackled to each side with two chains and then two at the, two at the gate. They rotated, I think it was like every three hours or so until he could be then brought in for execution. They weren't going to take any chances. But in this impossible escape, something happens. The centuries... Uh, the centuries, sorry, before uh, the door guarding the prison. In verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, Peter, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, and he woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put your sandals on. And so he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not know what was um, what what uh, sorry he did not know that what was being done was by an angel or was real so he's in a little bit of a daze but though he was seeing a vision when he had passed the first and second guard they came to the iron gate into the city it opened uh, for them on its own accord and they went in and went along the uh, one street immediately the angel left him when Peter came to him and said. Now, 
I am sure, when Peter came to himself, he said, I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. He, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, whose name was Mark, and where they had gathered together and were praying. So he is released miraculously. God still had something for Peter. I don't know why James, and I don't know exactly why Peter, but God still had more for Peter to do. Mary owned this house. She was most likely a widow. Most likely this is where Pentecost happened. It's probably a big home. She was a person of means. Barnabas, who we read about, is is, uh, her brother. And they probably came from means. And so Barnabas, remember, he sold his great property to help the church in the very beginning. These are very, very good people. He knows right where to go. But they've been praying for him. And this is what's interesting. They've been praying, God, save Peter. But you have to remember this. When every other gate is locked, heaven's gates are open. Every time it feels like there's a door, just remember heaven's doors are not closed to your prayers. Every time it feels impossible and every gate is locked, heaven is open and God is waiting to hear your request. Now this is Mark, John Mark, who wrote probably the book of Mark. And so this is all happening right here and now. In verse 13, it says, And he knocked on the door at the gateway. The servant girl named Rhoda became and answered, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she didn't open the gate, but she ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It's an angel. Isn't it funny when we're praying for things and it maybe even sometimes shows up right in front of our face and then we're like, but you're out of your mind. This can't be it. This isn't exactly, no way. These people dealt with it. You know, you could be praying, God, send me a spouse that would just, oh, someone who would just make my life just wonderful and God sends you a spouse and you're like, this, this isn't it. This is the wrong one. <laughs> oh, God. I think you got it mixed up. You meant to send this one to the devil, not to me. But God knows exactly what he's doing, and God is not mishearing, and God brings something, and sometimes we fail to see it, or we don't believe it when it's there. In this part where she says it, it must be an angel, this is very much a tradition. It doesn't make sense as we read it now. But it was a tradition in that time that every Jewish person born had a guardian angel. And that guardian angel, they, through their, through their um, stories, would say they would, could manifest and show up in the likeness of the person they were the guardian angel of and in the voice of them. And they would bring a word for them. So she's saying, it must be an angel. It must not be Peter. Our prayers may not have been answered But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed, even shocked by their prayer. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, because he's like, I just got out. I'm on the run, most wanted list. Let's keep it quiet. And he described to them how the Lord brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed, and he went to another place. Now, why James? This isn't the James who just died. 
This is what most people believe is James, Jesus' half-brother. And he is risen in prominence in the church of Jerusalem, which we'll see later in Acts. So go tell him, I'm out. I wrote this question down, and maybe I had to ask it for myself and maybe you. Have you ever prayed for something and can't believe it was answered when it happened? I think the story is a good reminder that there are things that we're praying for that we must not ever give up hope on. What else do you have your hope to put in? And that when it shows up, maybe we need to have our eyes wide open to it when it happens. This happened to me. I'm not going to lie. You've heard me say this. We were praying. Chad and I were praying, God, get, we, we need a building. Open up a building somewhere so we can, we, can, we can have a place. We can purchase it. Our church will get behind it. And we'll, we'll eventually have a building. We don't care where, God. We looked at the places that you would not want to be meeting in today. I promise you that. We were willing to go low, okay? <laughs> it was bad with like three parking spots. Not good. Okay, but we were willing. We were praying, God, please, please open it up. Now, God opens up this building. Larry, John, Pastor Keith approached us. We start talking about a, a possible blending. And the whole time I'm praying, God, open up a place for a building, at least even a parking lot, God. We can put up a tent. And God is bringing a building this way of a church who wants, uh, uh, is in need of a pastor, is in need of more people, more generationally, and is praying for the same thing. God, please bring us a church that we can blend with. And we're praying, God, please bring us a building. And he's doing it all at once. He's answering everybody's prayers. And then at the same time, I'm in the meetings going, I don't think we should do this. And then... <laughs> I know. Don't hate me. Sometimes I'm not right, okay? That's why I have wonderful elders. And I was like, I just don't think so. I just, I just don't feel that. I don't know. I just, but part of it was, you know, something I had envisioned very specifically. And God's going, but this is my church. You need to get out of the way. And then when I did, it was miraculous. Sometimes we're praying for something. God is doing it. And we're right in the way of it. I had things that I prayed for that I didn't see happen. And you guys, you've heard me say this. I prayed and prayed and prayed that my dad would live and he died tragically just like this. It was horrendous for our family. I felt like James's family. It was taken too quickly. It was too fast. It was too last minute. And we all were shocked. I didn't even get a chance to talk to him before he died. I was angry. I wasn't mad at God. I was just mad. I remember talking with my siblings, and they were really having a hard time, I think, even about, like, how could God let this happen? And I can't answer that question. I know that we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for his health and his, to turn around. But at the end of the day, I, I do know this, and if you ever have struggled here, uh, my only thing I have learned in prayer and in hope is that I I have so much faith in who God is. I have so much faith in Christ. I have so much faith in my assurance and my salvation. I don't understand sometimes the other stuff. But my faith is, is, is very much rooted. There. That's why I couldn't get mad at God. It was just, I know who he is. I just don't understand all the circumstances of life. There are some times when prayer, it doesn't happen the way you want. Has it changed my prayer life, you might ask? No. I pray as if it's going to be miraculous every time. There's nothing wrong with that. 
And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But never change your hope in the prayer. Think about how much faith you have in the fact of your security in heaven and faith. You have faith. You have the greatest gift you could ever have. And we're praying for God just in other things that we as humans desire and hope for. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But don't ever back away from God in your prayer life. Press in further. What's your other option? First Peter, he writes this, and this is why we need to read it from Peter. Because this just happened. First Peter 3.12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, you. His ears are open to their prayers. He knows this personally. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all of your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. He's reminding the people, just like we should be reminded today, that no matter what happens, God's ear is open to the righteous, and he's listening. Don't give up hope in your prayer and trust in God and and cast all of these anxieties that burden us in life because he does care for you and will comfort you in them like he did me after my dad passed. I'm... I would say this, I'm glad that heaven is open to my prayers, and that's enough to be joyful about. The last thing here, part of the story, the last theme we see, so we see prayer, we see life in Christ, and why they have this hope that they have, and then we see at the end of the day, the thing that is a reader, I'm just like, oh, that Herod guy's the worst. But there's an example that Herod gives every human being to be cautious of, and that's pride. And arrogance. And we see that even in God's sovereignty, you're wondering, how does James die and this guy live? But at the end of the day, I'm not saying this happens to all of these kinds of people, but it's a warning to all of us that God doesn't like prideful people and he will destroy arrogance in this life or the next. Pride corrupts any heart that welcomes it in. Pride keeps those from salvation. Pride pushes people away. Pride elevates ourselves. Pride thinks of ourselves before the other. Jesus came and taught everything the opposite of this. Pride is so destructive. And at the end of the day, it will be worshipped by you alone. Proverbs 16.5 says this, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, it or he will not go unpunished. And we're going to see this in this story. If I could encourage any of us today, is one thing is to fight against that would, I think, stumble, be a stumbling block for every believer and possibly detrimental is pride. Humility is what brings about life. Pride will take it away. You know, we must elevate, always elevate, uh, be careful to ele- of what we elevate in our life that becomes worship. I'm always telling my kids, I know they're teenagers, but when they walk by the mirror, sometimes I'll see them and be like, hmm, 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 hmm. I'm like, hey, I don't, do I have to bash all the mirrors in the house? Like, you know what I mean? So I know it. They're teenagers. They got to think that way. But even just this, this temptation to become so about ourselves, 
I would say now it's more tempting than ever now is to want to continue to elevate ourselves. And I don't know whether it's a low self-esteem or they need more true humility. I don't know what it is, but I, I can say as a non-professional armchair psychiatrist that, that uh, there's a sick culture going on right now with self-worship. I love confidence. I don't love arrogance and self-worship. It's detrimental to us. It blocks people from, from us from seeing the people around us for who God wants us to see them. It puts us first always and others last. We have to fight against this temptation, and Herod does not. He embraces every bit of it. But when God is properly in the seat of your heart, it will generate humility. Always. Let's read it, and then we'll finish up. Now, when the day came... There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to Peter. They're freaking out. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered them that they should be put to death. The rule in Roman law was if you were a guard and someone escaped, you then then got their death sentence or whatever was going to be sentenced to them. So he killed 16 people. But I love the casualness of this next one. Then he went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and he spent some time there. Wow! Possibly a psychopath. Verse 20, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. This is a separate story. These are people he was fighting with, warring with. They didn't back him when he needed them. And they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, Love that name. That king, uh, that the king, he's the king's chamberlain or servant. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So now he's in a real position of power. Right? What people with arrogance and pride should never have to rule or govern. And on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Do you guys know this? His robes. They were made of complete silver, and they were laced all with silver, almost like Lululemon. Is that right? Right? Except it wasn't, you know, like, you know, stretchy pants. And he had this whole garb, and he would walk out in front of all of the people, and the sun would shine. Josephus says this. A great historian says the sun would shine on him, and it would be brilliant, and it would just be like, wow. And listen what he says, this arrogant, prideful Christian killer. And it says this, he took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them, a wonderful speech. And the people shouted, the voice of God and not a man. And then God struck him down immediately. Now Josephus and Luke had two different stories here. Josephus says he This is his writing of this. He stands up and he's giving it and he falls dead. And Josephus says because he didn't condemn what they were saying. And Luke is saying instantly because he allowed this to happen and probably had taken it in. God killed him and he dies and is eaten by worms and he breathed his last breath. This story tells us ultimately we don't know exactly how God operates. We can tell that God's for his mission on this, in this world. And what we possess is the most important possession you can ever have. And sometimes life happens and we don't understand it, but we must pray. 
right? We must pray to a sovereign God and petition Him. And pray in hope and faith. And sometimes you have rulers who li- live a long life and die, but their, their reward will be worthless sitting in front of God who will judge that. And then you have some who will die right in front of everyone because of the arrogance and pride. God says, you will not be worshipped. And he dies. Listen to verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. I love the transition. This guy couldn't stop the gospel. Even for his vicious attacks on the believers. He dies in all of his arrogance and pride. And that's what he dies with. And the gospel continues to grow and thrive. Now remember when John, what he wrote in 1 John, we read a little bit of it earlier. But let's read the rest of it. It's, it's very good. 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away in its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What a perfect verse. He has witnessed this. His brother was murdered by a prideful, arrogant person, and the pride of life, it passes away. Everything that wants to get your attention to distract you from the very core mission that God has for you, which is to take this beautiful gift of life and bring it to others. Everything else is just a distraction and it will pass away. It, we, we, it's so funny. My son, we, we were clearing some stuff out that were old here and he's like, what, why, why do churches have all this stuff? I was like, well, eventually it's just old and you don't use it anymore. It's old technology. He's like, what's this? And I was like, that's called a DVD player, son. I had to explain it to him. And he was like, what? what? He didn't even understand how it worked. And I was like, that passes away into some trash pile somewhere. Everything fades, everything dies, but one thing remains. And that is our hope and faith in Christ. And that is why I think we can continue to pray to a sovereign God. Because whatever happens in this life, whether you live or die, it's gain. And so we pray. And we hope. And we trust. And we stay on mission. And we stay on task. We don't get distracted like Herod. And die a life and face God that way. We face him a well done, good and faithful servant. Can you guys bow your heads? I would say this in closing. There's three thoughts we should walk away with. In life and death, triumph or tragedy, pain or pleasure. We hope beyond all understanding. Whether it's good or bad. We have a hope that these disciples carried with them. That carried them. In prayer, we pray faith. We don't pray a formula. We pray hope to a sovereign God. And we do believe and know that heaven's doors are open and God's ears are open to the righteous. So do not lose hope when it doesn't turn out exactly how we prayed. But also don't stand in the way when God delivers what you asked for. And lastly, I would say pride is a killer of God's blessings in our life. It will absolutely destroy everything God's brought good into your life. But humility before God is always greater than being prideful before God. And scripture points to it over and over and over. You want better relationships? Seek humility. You want to, to, to manifest this life that God's placed inside of you, that from death to life, be, be humble. Pride will just absolutely put a cover over it and people will not see the brightness that shines.
I love this story in Acts. It's so encouraging in a way, just a small little story about who God is, how he works in a way, and what we must continue to always hope for. Like James, like Peter, like John, they all lived different lives. They all died at different times, but they all possessed the same thing, and that's what carried them through life. God, we love you and we thank you, God. I ask that you be with each person in this church. Each one of us have suffered individually. We've suffered in our own way, God, but you've been there to comfort us. Just like you were the church of the early days, as one by one, people from their church, they knew and they lived and they did life with being picked off. But they still pressed forward, God, and they were comforted in the beautiful joy of the resurrection. And God, I pray for our church, God, that we just continue to be a people who are humble and we seek humility first because you're at the top of our priority and everything else falls correctly underneath and that we do not give into the flesh but give into the spirit. And God, I just ask that through like a story like this, God, that we hold an eternal perspective, everything we do. We're not too old to continue to go and be productive for the kingdom. God, we're not to, to, to fail to continue to walk and get up and try again. Because Paul said, it's gain. Gain, it's gain. And if the time comes, God, when we die, it's gain. And we die living a life for you. And we one day will see our brothers and sisters. We one day will see our family members who are seated with you in a beautiful place. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing this last song?